Hello and welcome to episode 84 of Sensational She Geek Live from Yancey Street. This week's episode, regardless of when you listen to it, is a little bit late, but we have a lot of really fun news, specifically casting news, that's a lot of really interesting ones, um, as well as our weekly spotlight manga, a couple of really fun comic book picks, specifically Dark Knights of Steel, Astronaut Down, Poison Ivy number six, etc. And then we have the poll list for the week of the 9th of November. And I totally forgot it was even happening, but Titans season four did premiere last Thursday on HBO Max. So we're going to talk about those first two episodes, uh, all the comic references, all of the kind of theories of where the season is going, and of course we'll talk about the third episode uh, on episode, the podcast episode 85. Um, So that is going to be the next kind of chunk of television um, shows, rather, that we're going to be covering on the episode on the podcast weekly so keep up with that if you like the titan stuff because while i am not super knowledgeable about the titans side of dc comics um i love doing research on stuff that we see in the episode so i have all of that covered for you so you don't have to uh, just sit there and feel like you have no idea what's going on i got you covered but anyway stick around for that at the end of the episode Real quick here before we get started, please feel free to join the Yancey Street Discord. There is a fresh invite link at the bottom of each episode's description. The Discord is a safe, friendly place for socialization and discussion of whatever you want, really, comics, pop culture, or otherwise. And it's also where you can go to find links or images mentioned during the podcast all in one place. You can find me most easily on social media via Instagram. My username is at Anna with the comics because my name is Anna and hey, I've got a lot of comics. Uh, my podcast updates, if you want to find those, they'll be mostly on Twitter, where my username is at Savage SavageSheGeek, because Sensational was too many letters. My website is sensationalshegeek.weebly.com, where I have been working on fixing up the site quite a bit so that it is still relevant in addition to the podcast, so make sure you go and check that out, including my beginner's guide to both comics and manga, covering hopefully any information that you might need to take your first steps into the world of comics or manga, including recommendations on comics, graphic novels, manga, series, etc. Uh, I also have my reading orders with commentary on appearances of various leading ladies, many of which I use to turn into the monthly Yancey Street specials, also linked all over my site, uh, and they focus on a so far female character from the comics to study thoroughly and then expand upon in a podcast episode of their own. I try to make them pretty relevant. For example, I I'm about 95% done with a Jennifer Walters She-Hulk episode, which is going to be coming out uh, for her show this August. Additionally, anything pre-2021 content-wise can be found written in the website blog for your reference, which was all before I started the podcast. Plus my podcast notes, which are basically all the content of each episode in written format, are made available on my blog as well for reading the podcast instead of listening, and for those who are hearing impaired if they'd like to keep up with the podcast events as well. And you can finally find links to anywhere that you can listen to the podcast, which is 
most, if not all, podcast hosting apps, and also includes YouTube. On YouTube, I also post the podcast episodes in a single playlist format, if that is easier way for you to listen. And I also occasionally post action figure review videos. It has been a lot more imports in the latest videos, as I have pretty much given up on Hasbro's Marvel Legends line, uh, but I do have a big backlog of Legends videos, including a tour of our entire collection. It's a very long video tour. And soon the HasLab Galactus, assuming that he is on his way to go alongside last year's HasLab Sentinel video. I do have a podcast Patreon. You can find it under Sensational She Geek. It's set up for donations to support the podcast, as well as a Kofi, which is like a buy a creator a coffee situation. And Cash App, Venmo, PayPal are all linked on my link tree for donation towards the podcast, which should appear linked among various other fun things at the bottom of each episode's description. Uh, I do also have a Redbubble shop called She Geek Shop, but I have been having some issues with their site and whatnot. Um, so I'm working on setting up my own storefront on my site, which hopefully will be coming by the new year and will be faster with more support from listeners. Before we begin the news proper, there is a couple of smaller like TV shows and things that I wanted to mention. First off, of course, Wakanda Forever is in theaters today, uh, so I will be watching that possibly this weekend, potentially, and if I do, I will be covering that on episode 85. Um, some things that I have been watching in the past week or so uh, that were really interesting, uh, The Bastard Son and the Devil Himself, that is one on Netflix. Um, it kind of has an ending that feels poetic in the way that I kind of described the um, the writing at the very end, or the narration, I guess, at the very end of Love and Thunder, uh, where you kind of revert back to referencing the title, but for reasons that you kind of weren't expecting when the show started. Really satisfying end to that one. Also starring, uh, I don't have the actor's name, but it's the guy who plays currently Tim Drake's from Tim Drake from Titans. Um, I guess he is British. I, I get, I think. Um, but anyway, that one was really, really fun. Also extremely violent. So if you don't like that, definitely skip that one. Um, the Dragon Prince is back with season four, also on Netflix. This season, they gave it like a fun little subtitle or I guess its own title for the season, Mystery of Aravos. Arvos being the uh, creepy dark moon elf looking guy who it, like turned into a slug and was whispering in the magic father's ear. I don't know. Uh, if, if you've watched the show, you know what I'm talking about probably with those descriptions. Um, but the show does also pick up two years down the line from where season three ended. So all the characters have aged up um, significantly, I guess. Um, God, this one's on Netflix too, isn't it? <laughs> Inside Man is what it's called, I believe, uh, with David Tennant and Stanley Tucci were kind of the, the calling points for that one. Uh, David Tennant playing a preacher in um, England and Stanley Tucci playing a, what, what is it, criminal psychologist or something like that, who is on death row for murdering his wife. Um, we haven't finished, it's only four episodes, but it gets really twisted and dark, um, just in the first episode alone, how things kind of end up is like, oh dear, like people just going, just going too far and never, just not turning back. No, you, you've, you've passed the point of no return and you're still go, oh dear, you know, it's, 
it's um, definitely, I don't know if you would call that a thriller, um, but it is only <clears throat> four episodes, but there are four long episodes. Really interesting. Um, I don't think there's been any significant amount of violence or anything, but um, it is rather twisted. <laughs> uh, also on Crunchyroll, I'm sure if you have a Crunchyroll subscription, you're probably watching Chainsaw Man. Um, it's been, I think, on episode five is where as is with the subtitled version in Japanese and then everything else, well, not everything else, but the English dub version is on episode three. Really recommend that, especially if you were a fan of the manga at all. Um, I guess it's a really great translation. I haven't read the manga, but my husband has and uh, or is currently reading it. Um, and it is apparently really awesome. Um, but it is also, again, quite violent. I mean, it's called Chainsaw Man. If you didn't get that from the title, I don't I don't know, man. Um, but it's really fun. It's, it's really interesting. And it, it does fall... Um, fairly along the lines of a like kind of pure-hearted protagonist um who is just like kind of down in the dumps with his situation uh i think i think it definitely falls into that and finally i think as of today on disney plus there is zootopia plus which of course is from the you know it's a spinoff of the zootopia movie which is a really good movie um people definitely took it in weird ways but it was a really good movie. Um, there's no, I don't think there was any denying that. <laughs> um, but yeah, they have this the the spinoff that they're doing of the movie, which is I guess a show. I have not looked into it in the slightest. I only just saw that it was up right before starting recording this episode. But anyway, if you're into that, um, I'll probably check it out at some point in life, and I'll maybe tell you how it was. But if you're into that, it is also there. Getting into the full-blown um, news news, a lot of this is really castings. It really is a lot of castings. Um, and actually, a lot of them are specifically for one project, uh, and that would be Coven of Chaos, the Agatha Harkness show that they're going to be doing, right? For That's the WandaVision spinoff. Uh, I don't know why I wrote Cult of Chaos. It's Coven of Chaos. <laughs> i got to fix that in my notes. Um we have one, two, three, four, five. Yep, five. Five different characters, or rather actors, have been cast. Um, some more talked about than others, I'm sure you've heard. Uh, the first one that came out was Joe Locke, um, who I guess was the star of Heartstopper. I don't even know what that is. <laughs> I think I've heard about people talking about it, but I couldn't really tell you what the plot was in the slightest. Uh, but I guess he was really good in that. And the general assumption here is that he is going to be playing Wiccan, aka Billy Kaplan, um, who we have previously seen played by, I thought, oh, Julian, ha Julian Hilliard uh, was the kid who played in WandaVision, who, you know, they did the little Halloween special spoof thing where they were dressed the little boys were dressed as their uh, future comic selves but I guess there really is an intention to go ahead and bring since um, among the, the two of them being uh, Speed and Wiccan Billy and whatever the heck his brother's name is <laughs> uh, they um, obviously Speed self-explanatory and Wiccan also fairly self-explanatory they have fast powers and they have magic powers just like their uh, mother and uncle. 
it's kind of, you know, the whole point there. But anyway, um, people were really, oh, I guess people were really hoping that they would wait and have Julian Hilliard um, become, like, come of age to play Wiccan. I have no idea how old he is. Let's click on that name on Google and find out. Um, 2011, so he is 11. Yeah, they would have to wait a couple of years, definitely. Um, and he, I believe, had even retweeted the... One of the announcement articles about this Joe Locke actor having been cast because there was no announcement that he was going to be Wiccan, right? This is all just speculation, but Billy, whatever that kid's name was, I just said, Julian Hilliard had tweeted, because I guess kids like that at 11 have Twitter these days, um, that he uh, was going to be Wiccan or hinting that he was going to be Wiccan. And people were really upset because they were like, oh, Julian, I I thought you were going to be age up. They were going to wait until you were old enough to blah, blah, blah. And, and the kid had to end up coming out on Twitter and being like, you guys, it, I, I, it's not a big deal. Like, this is all for fun and games, you know, like, it's really not, he's not crushed is what he was kind of saying. Um, I guess there was never really an assumption from his mind that he was going to be playing the character in the future. So why would he, um, you know, kind of be crushed by that? But Joe Locke, I guess, is a great actor. If you look at a picture of him, he looks just like uh, what you would expect the, the kind of IRL actor to be translated for the comic book Wiccan to be translated into. Um, it looks really good. Um, and it's also brought up the conversation again that people are concerned they're going to be replacing the character of Hulkling, who of course is a young Avenger and boyfriend of uh, Billy Wiccan. There, people are concerned that they're going to be replacing his character in the MCU with, uh, what's his name? Sakar? No, that's the planet he was born on. Scar? Like, how Hulk, choose, Bruce, you could have done better with names, or whoever named him. I, I couldn't say, honestly. But anyway, people are concerned that Scar, who we met in a very supremely uncomfortable way um, in the end of She-Hulk, how did nobody have follow-up questions to that? By the way, here's my grown-ass son, named after the planet he was born on, which none of you really know that story of. But anyway, back to business. Back to lunch. <laughs> but it has been brought into the conversation. People are worried they're going to replace Hulkling with that character. I can definitely see them doing that, to be honest. Um, I don't think... The thing about Hulkling that's cool, of course, is that he is half Cree and half the other one. Um, brood. No, that was a joke. Scroll. Um, he's half Cree and half Scroll, and the whole Cree versus Scroll thing is like you know the Cree Scroll War is eternal, and then it's not, and then Empire happens. No, not Empire. The other one. No, that was Empire. I just had to go check because I was very confused. It's been too many events, okay? Just too many events coming from Marvel. Just give it a give it a rest. Let them soak in before you go to the next one. <laughs> anyway, of course, in that event, that was when Hulkling and Wiccan ended up officially getting married. Um, because after you know dating and everything, being boyfriends for years and years and years in Young Avengers comics and that kind of thing. Meanwhile, Scar is not relevant right now as far as I know in the comics. Like he was originally not even from this reality, the 616. Like it's a whole thing. I don't honestly know how that stands in the comics right now to be honest. Um <laughs> but putting him in right now and with the addition of the fact that 
the character of Hulkling is not actually Hulk-related, they may end up giving Scar the name Hulkling and putting him in that position and just cutting out the whole he's half Kree and half Scroll because it's just inconvenient. They're already doing all this other Kree Scroll stuff in the MCU on like a completely other side of the ballpark. And some people are really concerned um, about that due to the fact that they don't want, we sh- we don't want, um, fans don't want Hulkling's gayness i think it is i don't think he's bisexual his 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 sexuality to be and also wiccans of course their sexuality to be wiped away you know that would obviously be seen as somewhat anti-queer you know because of course like that's that's a big part of both of their characters um i don't think they're going to wipe that away i don't think if they're going to make that change and i know i'm like way off topic now i, I don't if they're going to make that change i don't there's not a reason for them to uh make the second change of the sexuality as well you can make scar gay who cares i don't think he's been relevant to anything like that <laughs> at any point in the comics so it doesn't really matter um but then there's also the full thing of disney is really really having a hard time with people uh attributing their pro queer attitude in a lot of places in their in their business to really nasty stuff that I really don't want to get into because it is so awful. It's a terrible trope and it's frankly incredibly wrong. It just is. And it's, 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 it's super offensive too. Um, but I don't think they want to get more, more, I don't think they want to give those people who are those, who criticize Disney for that kind of stuff, more kindling to burn for their store for their glory or whatever it is that they want or don't want um so that could be if they do make that change it's not because they're anti-gay they they have shown many times that that's not the case um florida crap regardless um but that would be you know and again i highly doubt they're going to make that change whoever ends up being Well, Wiccan, assuming that it's a Joe Locke guy, uh, I'm sure he will be a gay character when he shows up in the show, um, whenever that becomes relevant for them to to put in there. And whatever is going to end up being, whoever takes up the position that Hulkling is in in the comics, they can make that character queer as well. It's fine. But anyway, uh, another character, because there are those five that has been cast, another actor who's been cast in Coven of Chaos was Aubrey Plaza, uh, which is a really interesting one. She has apparently been cast as the villain, um, which I feel extremely meh about, which I'll get into in a second. Um, She was also previously a character in Legion. I don't remember who which character she was because I only watched a few episodes of that. Um, I don't think that's going to connect. I don't think there's a reason for that to connect. They've shown no plans of the Legion show being connected to absolutely anything else. Um, so I think it's just they wanted Aubrey Peralta because she's known as this like... I don't know, downer, pouty bitch character? I don't know. It's... <laughs> It's become very tiresome as a viewer, uh, in my opinion, um, kind of in a similar way, actually, that Chris Pratt has also become very tiresome um, because they kind of just play themselves or play the same thing over and over and over again. 
Um, I'm just generally not excited to hear that Aubrey Plaza is going to be one of the main. And yes, I am watching White Lotus season two. I have seen her in that. Yes, that's fine. But I still don't feel like she's very different than she usually plays in that. I mean, she's, she's, she's the downer bitch. That's what her whole thing is, right? She's just not as weird. <laughs> it's still the same character she always plays pretty much. Um, and that's the concern that I have. That's why I'm not very excited about this casting. But moving on from there, we also have Sashir Zamata. Uh, Sashir Zamata, she is apparently an SNL alum. I guess she was on there for at least four years. I I don't watch SNL very much, apparently. I, I know I don't watch SNL very much. I'm not actually super into that, um, especially in recent years. Uh, but she will be in it. I'm not sure what she's playing as. People don't really have anything they're spitballing about. But the final two actresses, Ali An, or probably Ali An, and Maria Dizia, Dizia, uh, they apparently are both playing witches in the show. Whether that's going to be in the Coven of Chaos or they're going to be other witches, who's to say? I'm guessing all of these people are going to be in the Coven of Chaos, Agatha's Coven. Um, but all taking different roles because that kind of stuff can get chaotic, you know. Uh, Ali On is apparently an actress from Raising Dion. I have not seen that. And I have also not seen The Staircase, which is what Maria Dizia has been in. So moving on from the Coven of Chaos castings, now that we've spent plenty of time there, um, Wonder Man, this actually was something that was announced right after I posted last week's episode, which kind of sucked. But we'll get into it now. And I am super stoked about it because Wonder Man has been cast. I was not excited for this announcement until I saw who it was. Yaya Abdul-Mateen III, who, if you're wondering who I'm talking about, you will know him from previously playing both Black Manta and Dr. Manhattan in the HBO Max or HBO uh, Watchmen show, which was stupendous, by the way. I'm also just realizing I said the third. It is not the third. It is the second. I apologize. But other stuff that he's been in, uh, Candyman, Ambulance, The Matrix Resurrections. He was young. I was going to say Mephisto. Young Morpheus. Morpheus? Yeah, Morpheus. Uh, apparently he's going to be in Furiosa. And he was also in Us, which I think I, I believe was one that I saw. Point being, absolutely fantastic actor. Um... The expectation that I had for the Wonder Man casting, because I genuinely, <laughs> it's been so long since they announced that that was even going to be a thing, I kind of forgot. Um, the expectation I had was some ridiculous blonde-haired white man who they were going to darken his hair and have him be ridiculous on screen and just your cliche, you know, oblivious white superhero man. Because that's just like, I mean, his name, come on, his name alone he has a little bit, let's be honest, a little bit of that persona in the comics. Just let's be honest. And then there was all that stuff about people wanting Nathan Fillion to play him. And so I thought maybe they were going to go with like a younger Nathan Fillion type. I have no idea who that would be. But all of that was going to be kind of meh um, because that was all very expected and whatnot. This, though, this is super cool. Um, you get a top tier actor. And we're adding a little bit of depth to the character of Wonder Man in that he's not just that kind of blank, white, bored slate. 
white bread slate, whichever one you want to go with. Um, so that's pretty cool. Can he do comedy? I'm sure he's, let me go back to that page. Has he done comedy? Not really. Not really, but I feel like he's, I mean, I've seen clips of him on interviews and stuff and he seems to be a pretty chill dude. Um, funny yeah funny I feel like he could do funny and that's also would go against the like you know uh, going against your expectations so whole sort of thing because he is kind of a big dude um and all of these roles that he's played in the past most of the roles he's played in the past are pretty um serious roles I mean some of them are horror movies so come on <laughs> which we just watched Candyman recently that was really good. I'm really excited for the Captain Marvel sequel because that is the same director. So that's going to be awesome. But this also brings up the fact, in my mind, it brings up the fact that Wonder Man in the comics had a relationship with Scarlet Witch. Now, of course, we know Wanda's technically dead, right? She's not dead. We all know she's not dead. She'll be back. Whether she'll be back in Coven of Chaos or in... Something else. I guess the Vision show is the other one that they announced recently, or in Wonder Man. I'm sure she'll be back in all of them, to be honest. Um, I don't know which is coming first. Probably Covet of Chaos. But Wonder Man... Do you know how good those two would look on screen together? Just saying. He's a, he's a very good-looking man, and she is a very good-looking woman. They just... Mm, chef's kiss. They would make beautiful children. And, of, you know, if you don't know from the comics, um, at one point, it was Wonder Man whose, like, brain waves they took to imprint on Vision to give him, like, life or whatever. So he's technically always been a part Wonder Man. And so kind of having the, the Vision show announced and the Wonder, the Wonder Man show kind of picking up pace here with this casting, it makes me really interested <laughs> um, in the, the, cro the potential crossover, not so much in Coven of Chaos, but between Wonder Man and the Vision show, because Wanda is like the pinnacle of that love triangle. Uh, I'm excited for that weirdness. I don't know about you. I should move on here. Uh, going forward to the next casting news. We also heard a little bit of an update from Across the Spider-Verse. Now, I didn't really realize that the Issa Rae Spider-Woman voice casting news had been a rumor. I thought that that was like a said and done thing, but it has been confirmed as well as what we already knew was Oscar Isaac as Spider-Man 2099, aka Miguel O'Hara. And now we also have Oscar winner Daniel Kaluuya voicing Spider-Punk, aka Hobie Brown, which fun fact, um, Hobie Brown is also uh, well, Hobart Brown is an uh, Earth 616 comics. He is the Prowler, aka Miles Morales's uncle. Fun fact. Um, and really tied up in how Miles got spider powers, etc. Um, so on whatever Earth it is that Spider Punk is from, I actually don't actually know that right now, off the top of my head. Um, that Hobie Brown is Spider Punk. So that's pretty cool. Fun fact, I thought. So that gives us the three new, what appears to be the main three new spiders for Across the Spider-Verse. We have Spider-Punk, Daniel Kaluuya, Spider-Man 2099, Oscar Isaac, and Spider-Woman, Issa Rae. So that is genuinely pretty awesome. 
not as awesome. <laughs> uh, I remember a while ago they announced that they were going to be doing a live action Hercules. Okay, fine, whatever. It was never going to be fantastic. Um, they put the Russo brothers on it alongside with Guy Ritchie, which sounds like a fun team, but Guy Ritchie did the live action Aladdin movie, which felt like a um, very low budget student film. If we're being real here. Um, and the Russo brothers obviously have done a number of good things and are also, to be honest, a couple of really bad things. Um, throw that in with the fact that they just announced it's going to be a TikTok-inspired musical. This is going to be the worst flaming ball of crap that has ever been filmed on Disney's time. Probably ever. <laughs> um... No, I, I'm trying to think, like, what would that even... TikTok-inspired musical, what would that even consist of? And all I can think of is, is extremely short dance sequences. Like, like very highly choreographed, over-choreographed, but very short dance sequences. And that sounds horrendous. I don't think that's gonna... Mm, um, I... I, I feel like this statement that they gave is just going to end up being nothing. Um, and they'll probably just never reference it ever again and move on like they didn't say that because they realized it was never going to work out. How could this possibly work out? This is like <laughs> People want to be mad about a live action uh, Black Ariel. Be mad about this! This is like... What the heck? <laughs> and and to get, I have one quote. They they put a whole statement out. It was all bullshit. But I have this one line from the quote that I have to give you here, from one of the Russo brothers. It's Joe and Anthony, right? Is their names weird dudes? They're officially extremely weird dudes in my mind. Because here's what they have to say about this. They said. I think we have a point of view on how they can stretch the limits of their IP moving forward rather than playing IP management. I I get what he's trying to say. I get that they want to do something different and exciting and put fresh eyes on it. That's fine, whatever. Stretching the limits of the IP moving forward. All of that, all it sounds like to me is they are going to completely change all of the classic parts of stories that people like um, to try and modernize things. And it is not going to go well because when has that ever gone well with classic stories, unless you're doing a complete retelling, which I, those would be like high school musical Hercules. That would be God awful. Um, unless they're doing some, some kind of a completely retelling like that changing the story up to a great extent but still trying to keep it the same hercules is gonna be bad tiktok inspired musical dude i don't know man uh moving on from that to something that's kind of fun netflix has announced um on it was actually the 16th anniversary of the original gears of war release that they will be doing a gears of war animated 
kind of universe. Um, and it was announced from the Netflix, like, news site, I guess. And I have every little thing. They, it was just a couple of lines here that they said about it. It says, on the 16th anniversary of the original video game's 2006 release, Netflix announced a partnership with the Coalition to adapt the Gears of War universe. Netflix will first adapt the video game saga into a live-action oh, live feature film, followed by an adult animated series with a potential of more stories to follow. And then they put in a little about Gears of War thing, which says, with over 40 million copies sold, Years of War is one of gaming's richest and most acclaimed saga sagas. A society divided and on the brink of collapse faces total extinction by the Locust, a monstrous threat from below. Delta Squad, a ragtag fire team led by disgraced Sergeant Marcus Fenix, is now charged with leading humanity's last stand. The series has been critically acclaimed for redefining the tactical third-person and cooperative shooter genre and has one of gaming's most passionate fan bases. But on bum Moving on, um, more Netflix stuff. Sandman has officially been renewed for a second season. I know there was a little bit of confusion. The Netflix page posted it and then deleted it. I don't know if they reposted it or not. But Neil Gaiman uh, confirmed on his social media, yes, it is getting officially a second season on Netflix. So that's super exciting. Personally, we still need to finish in our house the first season. Uh, we just ended up getting really behind on it because there's always all this stuff to watch as well. Uh, also, in Neil Gaiman news, uh, he and his wife, Amanda Palmer, have finally officially divorced. I thought that that had happened a number of years ago. Um, I guess they just split up or separated um, and they stayed together for the kid or something like that, but like stopped being a couple. And now they're officially divorcing is what I kind of understand it to be. Um, a lot of, a lot of odd stuff in that family. Uh, Neil Gaiman was born into Scientology and really doesn't like to talk about it. I think he's not involved with the church anymore. I think. Um, also Amanda Palmer has a very strange history of, <laughs> um, kind of stomping on her own tongue, I guess. Uh, foot and mouth syndrome. There we go. That's that's the correct saying. Uh, well, she'll say something because she's trying to be, um, I don't know, get a headline or to get get attention or something, and it'll end up being something awful or just reductive. And uh, eventually, I mean, has to go on. Uh, you, I don't know if you have like a legitimate thing that's not sexist about, because there's a lot of sexist. Um, anti-Amanda Palmer stuff that's purely on the fact that she is a woman and she is weird. But if, uh, but but I, I've, I've done the research and I've seen that she said some really, like, bullshit statements uh, to people, honestly to fans, too. Um, I don't know if she's ever come out to say anything about them to reference it, but uh, to apologize or anything, but I don't know. I I'm not gonna write off a woman just because the internet does not like her if I can't find, like, really solid reasons. Am I terrible for saying that? Somebody explained Amanda Palmer to me with actual, like, receipts so that I know that you're not just making up stuff to be sexist about her, because I see a lot of that when I did that research. Moving on, uh, The Last of Us gets a premiere date uh, on HBO Max, January 15th, 2023. That is, of course, The Last of Us based off of the video game uh, first 
video game into a little bit of the second is what people are thinking. And this is starring the illustrious Pedro Pascal alongside Bella Ramsey. And they are playing Joel and Ellie, the main characters of the at least the first game, right? Um, so that's pretty exciting. They had given a little bit of a tease for that, but they haven't actually done... I don't think they've given a full trailer for The Last of Us yet, so we should be getting um, more footage or behind the scenes or something as they are preparing to premiere the show in early or mid-January. The last bit of news that we have revolves around the MCU Spider-Man, aka Tom Holland. Uh, there is a rumor, as nothing is confirmed, remember that as we go through this, there is a rumor that Tom Holland has signed on to a new Spider-Man trilogy, as well as potentially appearing in further Marvel properties like Secret Wars, King Dynasty, Born Again, etc. Um, the rumor would be he would be appearing in Spider-Man 4, 5, and 6, Oh, I don't know how long, what timeline we're looking at here, and I do question the legitimacy of this a little bit because there is no particular site that it's coming from as far as I can tell. So until we get kind of a any kind of reputable source coming from this or anybody confirming it, uh, I'm gonna not keep my hopes up. Also, do we need another Spider-Man trilogy with Peter Parker? I think it's a valid question. Uh, we literally have an entire Spider-Verse, uh, multiverse of spider characters we can choose from, and quite a few uh, situated on Earth 616, or whatever they want to call it for the dang MCU these days. Um, do we have to do a Peter Parker trilogy? I think he can just pop up in and out of team movies, and, and we can maybe get a new a new Spider-Man trilogy, because we don't need to be rehashing the same stuff over and over again. But that's just me. Our spotlight manga for the week is Way of the House Husband, which is really funny. Um, and it does have a Netflix version. Way of the House Husband is a manga written by Kusuke, Kusuke Uno. Oh my god, my cat just jumped up in my face. Excuse me. <laughs> Kusuke Uno, I hope I'm saying that right, and it is their only uh, manga project and anime project because they were involved with the Netflix anime. Uh, there are 10 volumes of the manga. There are nine in English out right now, and volume 10 is coming in 2023. There's also a live action TV drama about that has been, um, it's been made into and it was originally published as um, an online in the online manga magazine Kurage Bunch since 2018, and its main source of humor relies on subversion of expectations, which it does stupendously. The genres that it falls into are action, comedy, slice of life, and I'm probably going to get laughed at by somebody by saying this wrong. Sinin? Sin Sanin? I'm so sorry. I've never heard anybody say that one out loud. <laughs> but it's, it's, it's mangas that are marketed towards young adult men. The basic plot of this one is a, is a former Yakuza a soldier or dude, ranksman, um, who has retired. He was actually known as like the dragon or something like that. But he has retired now and is a married man um, who is a, 
as it's called, house husband to his working wife. So his day-to-day activities are seen from the light of a former gangster, basically, (laughs) and everything is kind of... um, and made kind of intense in that way. Uh, the characters, Tatsu is the husband, the house husband, Miku is his wife, and Jin is their cat, who does have quite a big role in both the manga and the animated series on Netflix. The live-action TV drama was never made into, uh, was never given dubs as far as I can tell, so I didn't go ahead and watch any of that, but I bet that it is completely ridiculous, as only a live-action adaptation of something this funny and, um, unexpected could be. Also, um, if you're here for manga stuff, I have a little bit of manga news. Um, Wotakoi, I don't know how to say it, Wotakoi. Wotakoi. Yeah, I think I did that right. Uh, The Final English Edition, Volume 6, oh my gosh, Lucy, get off my desk, has finally come out. Um, I am on Volume 3, personally, and I'm excited to catch up. And also, The Great Jahi, Volume 4, was originally supposed to be coming out in October, but it has been pushed back to November 22nd. Um, So if that was one that you're reading, or if that's one that you're interested in, and I cannot recommend it enough, to be honest... um, you have until you have until November 22nd to catch up and that is when volume 4 is released. In comic book picks this week, uh we have 1 2 3 4 5 6 that we are discussing uh well 7. We'll we'll talk briefly about the ones uh right now actually let's just get that over with. I didn't like it. I didn't like the ones by Brian Michael Bendis. That's all I got to say about it. 2 And this is going to make me sound like a major a-hole. It was too wordy. (laughs) I I hate having to give criticisms like that, but good lord. It wasn't interesting. (laughs) Uh, So that was the ones. But here's the others. Uh, The only other one that I have a a negative criticism of is She-Hulk number seven. Um, We finally see that the villains are... A little person and her big dumb husband like like medically dumb like is that not a terrible trope Uh, is that not awful (laughs) what the hell marvel your villains are a midget and her mentally ill and so extremely strong husband like what that just feels very wrong. I'm. Uh, that's all I gotta say about that issue. Literally, uh, Captain Marvel forty three. Uh, the key. The, the team. The team that we are seeing uh, on this issue or in this arc rather is Carol Remy, of course, who is uh, Remy LeBeau, Rogue's husband. Spider Woman, Polaris, Wolverine, aka Laura, Hazmat, and Quanin. Absolutely fantastic team. I am super excited. I know I say this all the time, but Kelly Thompson's Captain Marvel shines the best when she is doing something that is among friends and teams like this, so I am super excited. Also, Kelly Thompson's series kind of started out with Carol having to face her history with Rogue, um, and so part of me is really afraid that the series is about to end at 50, uh, because that is A, the longest 
I believe, the longest that Carol has ever had a solo series, and B, that would be a full circle from uh, starting at the beginning to the end, with the whole rogue stuff being uh, addressed. So, hopefully I'm wrong. <laughs> I've been wrong about it being cancelled before, thank goodness, uh, we've even gotten this far, but it's just it's patterns that comic people do for female characters I didn't see it coming so expecting it to be cancelled hoping that it won't be we'll see what happens when we get there Poison Ivy number 6 uh, the conflict ends by Pamela eating the Floronic Man uh, which is pretty baller to be honest uh, the green then decides to give her another chance and heals the spores from her so that she isn't going to die all of the narration so far we find out is a letter, spraying my cat, to Harley Quinn. Um, and Harley gets the letter and she is going off to meet her. And Pam is going to Seattle for whatever it is that's coming next. I hope that means that Harley is going to Seattle too, otherwise they're not even going to run into each other. Deadpool number one by Alyssa Wong. I was extremely happy with uh, for a number of reasons. Um, this felt like Deadpool being written properly Deadpool style. I really, really liked that. Um, it had a beautiful harrower is one of the names of the villains here. Uh, and there was a beautiful, beautiful Mucha style um, Art Nouveau pinup of that character, Harrower. Really absolutely gorgeous. Uh, so it just deserved a shout out. I just had to mention it. Um, and then what, what kind of happened before we get to the start of this issue was he got into this mess because he was on an audition to assassinate Otto Octavius to be a part of this assassin's club. Uh, and he meanwhile meets Valentine Vuong, who is a... I think she had needles for fingers is what it was. And there were some funny jokes about that. Uh, again, very Deadpool style writing, which I appreciate so much. Um, and I'm, I'm going to definitely keep up with this one. Alyssa Wong, really happy that we've got a second female writer on Deadpool. And she definitely has a different style of hit writing him than Kelly Thompson. But it's still, Kelly Thompson was more of like a cerebral Deadpool writer. I think Alyssa Wong is going to be more of a action and assassination Deadpool style writer. And that makes a lot of sense with the stories that each are putting out. Dark Knights of Steel number eight was pretty crazy and finally gives us some very solid speculation ground to stand on. Uh, first off, I completely forgot that we have the Joker as Green Lantern, which is going to be a problem very clearly after this issue, especially um, the whatever it is, the kingdom of storms and rain or whatever. Anissa is now the queen after her father and brother have been murdered by the elves. Uh, she speaks with Hippolyta about the coming war with the elves as they go off and march to war. Meanwhile, in the elves prison, and I'm curious how these two are going to come into play in the future, Green Arrow and Black Canary are bonding over their uh, planning of an escape together. So I have no doubt they're going to get come out and do something miraculous at the last moment. Uh, Jester, Harley, and Captain Waller meet up with the armies that are coming towards the Elves' kingdom to try and avoid war by speaking with Hippolyta and Anissa. Constantine sees her and goes to attack her, and Queen Ivy starts taking out the entire army in Harley's defense, which is exactly what she said she would do for her. 
uh, Joker Lantern then swings by and things kind of go sour. His ring told them told him that this army cannot fall, so he knocks out Ivy, which stops her attack, obviously, and tells the army to keep marching. He clearly has something. What is the ring? Um, we'll get there in a second to more theories. At the Elves' castle, uh, when the armies arrive, the queen decides to not have her army fight for her. And then at the last second, Diana and uh, Zala L, who is kind of like Supergirl, they arrive hand in hand because remember they're girlfriends and they are ready to save the day by fixing all of this is basically what their whole opinion of what's happening can can happen. What, what they're doing can happen. Whatever. Uh, but Jacob, who is Anissa's brother, and who was recently brought back from the dead thanks to Constantine, he is convinced by Constantine to drown Zalael in her own lungs. Uh, Hippolyta is not intending to do anything about that when Diana pleads for her girlfriend's life. Uh, but then Queen L, whatever her name is, um, Lara L, arrives in a big boom. Anissa wants uh, Lara to be taken out as payment for her family's deaths, but Hippolyta says that she is a queen, but a child, no one has to die. They go to shake hands, Laura says, what's the fun in that? And Red Eye blasts Hippolyta completely in half. <laughs> so, uh, that's how the issue ends. <laughs> um, there's a little bit of damage, a little bit of damage after that one. I loved it. Um, the, the, the biggest, the biggest, um, obvious thing here is that someone is clearly controlling the L's and only stepping in to do so at the absolute worst opportunities, and then they don't remember it after the fact. So that's already happened with Bruce, not Bruce, uh, Bruce is wrong, Clark. It's happened with Zala, and now it's happened with Lara, um, where everything is fine, and then all of a sudden they turn evil, and they don't remember it afterwards, which makes me really curious what is Lara going to think when she suddenly sees the queen blasted in half and doesn't realize that that was her who did that? And now they're at war really severely. Um, so yeah, somebody is definitely stepping in to control the elves at their worst opportunities. Psycho Pirate is a really obvious one to, to guess because of the mind control kind of thing. Somebody else I saw was theorizing Parallax because... Um, the whole Joker lantern thing, maybe there's something messed up with his ring and it is doing a lot of this negative work, um, on behalf of itself. I don't know. I don't know. Well, I'm really excited to find out though. Finally, astronaut down number four, we're getting towards the end of this one and I really like it. Uh, basically what has happened, uh, this dude who is now in this astronaut's body. He is from the other reality, right? The one who we saw previously got saved from the world-eating cancer. He was propelled back into this reality's dude's body. Same guy, but different reality. Since they sent their astronaut off with the cure equation, which wasn't actually real, the other reality's dude had also been sent off on the same trip with the correct cure equation from his own world. Bada bing, bada boom, now they have it. But that also means that now his world isn't getting the equation, and now his wife um, is still alive in this original world where we started, whereas when we started she was dead. It's this whole crazy thing. Basically what I think is going to happen is it's going to be an eternal loop. 
that other universe is now in the position that this one started in, right? So they'll send him off in an experiment. He'll arrive here where the equation happened and his wife is alive and the other dude will get sent back to that body. It reverses which world survives again and it continues eternally. Am I wrong? <laughs> I don't know. Um, basically, uh, uh, he's stuff happens. He activates his mission failure pack, which shuts it all down so he can live a normal life. Um, he gets, you know, beaten up by conspiracy theorists. And then one day the scientists tell him they think that they can save his original world now, but he will probably die in the process. Um, <laughs> just let the man live. Honestly, <laughs> it's so chaotic. Uh, but I am super curious how that's going to wind up in the end. Comic book polls are for the week of the 9th of November. We're going to go through a bunch of uh, indie stuff that only has one issue coming out of interest, in my opinion, per publisher. And then we're going to talk Marvel, DC, and Image, which have a lot more. Um, and just to preface this, once again, I do not cover all of the comics that come out on any given week. There's so much more, so if there's nothing that I talk about that sounds interesting to you, I can guarantee you that there is a local comic book shop employee out there who would be thrilled to find you something that you do like. So from Skybound, we have Dark Ride number two. Scout Comics has Kill Chella number one as a first issue. We'll talk about what it is about. And this one is a group of friends attending the music festival of Coachella. Find a reclusive pop star leads her devoted fans in a massive human sacrifice ritual. From Dynamite is Lord of the Jungle number one, a Tarzan series that tells a story from before his birth. Bad Idea has Orc Island number two. Oni Press has cats. Pink Lemonade number two. Boom Studios has Specs number one. Two misfit teens order a pair of x-ray glasses that grants wishes. Ablaze has Traveling to Mars number one. A terminally ill man is the first. Hey! Excuse me. I have some cats to deal with. <clears throat> Anyway, uh, traveling to Mars, number one, a terminally ill man is the first to be sent to Mars, knowing that there is no chance he will return. And then we have Marvel, where they have Judgment Day Omega, number one, is the event conclusion. Fantastic Four, number one, is a new creative team telling character-focused, less universe-spanning stories. We'll wait and see how that goes. I'm not, I don't know. I thought that was something people liked about the Fantastic Four. Uh, just not by Dan Slott. <laughs> Spider-Man The Lost Hunt is the origin of Craven, which is kicking off here with the first appearance of a character called Tracy McCaba, and Black Panther Unconquered number one contains the origin of Wakanda. Over at DC Comics, the new Golden Age number one is one that I'm personally excited for. Oh my god, he's such a stupid kitten. Uh, and it is the first appearance of the 13, and then we have Batman Incorporated number two, which contains the first cameo appearance of Phantom One, a failed sidekick of Ghostmaker, and a possible first appearance of Fissure, an electricity wielder. In Superman Son of Kal-El number, number 17, it's the first appearance of Red Sin, and it is a part of the storyline Kal-El Returns Part 4. And then they have Batman vs. Robin number 3 and Dark Crisis on Infinite Earths number 6, which I think is of 7 total. 
Image Comics has The Knight and the Lady of Play number one, which is a one-shot, I believe. A knight is traveling home to his wife after a war, but is tempted by a mysterious woman who tempts him to stay with her. Gospel number one is five-issue fantasy adventure inspired by the work of Mayo Miyazaki and sent in the chaos of King Henry VIII's reign that questions the truth behind the stories we tell. Two Graves number one is a retelling of the classic Persephone myth, which is just the kind of story that I really like. And then we have Love Everlasting number four, Starhenge number five, and Seven Sons number six of seven. As promised, the episode wraps up with the DC Titans season four premiere, episodes one and two, um, which I didn't bother getting the titles of. I know one of the second one was Mother Mayhem. I'm not sure what the first one was. Was it Lex? I think it was Lex. <laughs> Funny thing about that Lex. Um, so let's go ahead. I'm not going to go through point by point what happens in the episodes. I'm going to go through by character points, starting off with Superboy. <clears throat> Superboy. Uh, obviously he gets, he obviously, like you, I don't know, maybe you have seen it. I'm going to spoil it if you haven't. Um, Superman reaches out to him because, or he reaches out to Superman. I don't know. Either way, uh, he goes to Star Labs to meet with Superman. There is no Superman to meet. He had to go away. So no, no, uh, HBO Superman that we can make fun of. Uh, however, they do show him a cool light show of Superman going to a, uh, red sun planet that was going supernova to save its citizens, and the audience falls into a big hush as, are we going to see the death of Superman from afar? Because <laughs> Red Sun Planet going boom. Mm. <laughs> I don't know. But that brings us to Lex Luthor. Now, Lex Luthor in this show is pretty cool. He is bald, but he has a cool beard, which I don't think they've done with Lex Luthor yet. Um, and honestly, this is the first Lex Luthor I've ever seen who actually looks kind of like a badass, as opposed to just a guy with balding issues. <laughs> Uh, Lex pulls up the Temple of Azeroth and then fires the character who ends up being Mother Mayhem from his team that discovered it. Um, and then there is no Lex because Mother Mayhem turns his, as, as I understand what happened, turned his ins or converted rather his insights into a python. Uh, and then uh, Superboy gets murder charges for killing Lex, and then the murder charges get thrown out once they find out that he did not kill Lex. So thank you, Superboy, for your participation. Moving on to Brother Blood is played by, well, he's not Brother Blood yet. He has his other name, which I didn't write down. Sorry. Um, he's played by Joseph Morgan, though, who I have to say I'm really happy to see here. He is a absolutely fantastic villain actor because he has this very soft British voice and face. Um, it, it works out really well. Uh, and then you have Mother Mayhem, who we kind of see floating around these episodes, doing stuff, setting stuff up in the background. For him, she's setting him up to basically, as I understand it, become Blother Blood and lead the Church of Blood, no doubt. Uh, she, I don't know if she kills his mother, but she definitely sets up the awful way that for him to learn that his mother has passed in the nursing home, where he walks into her room and it's just been completely cleaned out of all of her belongings. <laughs> And then she comes in, she's like, oh yeah, your mom died. <laughs> uh, the whole thing, uh, she also had a hand in him not getting his project financed. 
Um, and then, yeah, a whole, a whole mess of stuff, making him, like, just waiting for that final straw to break his back and turn him into brother blood is what I'm th- seeing happen here. Um, he will be getting a new villain look by the end of the season, so that'll be cool. And then there's that bone-faced man. This is the one thing that I didn't quite get, who was going around and it seemed to be sacrificing people on behalf of brother blood or the church of blood, the cult of blood, whatever. Um, and then he turns out to be Arthur Hormwood, I think is what the name was who was Lex Luthor's personal physician, and I genuinely, I can't quite figure out what the connection is to all that. That's the one thing I'm confused about still. Mother Mayhem, though, let's talk about her. She is obviously a part of Blood's cult, the Church of Blood, and she is a very powerful figure within that church. She has a pretty big connection to Raven, or rather the church does as well, because they worship her father, Trigon, who you may remember is like a demon. Mother Mayhem undoubtedly needs Trigon's powers for a dark ritual, which is why she needs the Temple of Azeroth, which is the birthplace of Raven. Um, and in Azeroth is an interdimensional realm of seeming peace and harmony. Now, I have a quote from some CBR or something article here that somebody who was a major Titans fan got really sweaty about this. Debuting in the third issue of the iconic series The New Teen Titans by Marv Wolfman and George Perez, the realm of Azeroth was founded by a woman named Azar who convinced a group of humans to join her in her home. This world was one of peace and gentility, with the humans with the humans there abstaining from all violence and aggression. They would later abandon all of their inner evil, dispelling it into the ether. Unfortunately, this evil coalesced into the vile demonic entity Trigon, who would become their greatest enemy. Later, the people of the Temple of Azeroth would be coerced into taking Angela Roth, taking in Angela Roth, due to the machinations of Trigon, giving her the title Arela. Araya, they discovered that she was pregnant with the child of Trigon. Despite their fears, it was decided that raising the child in Azeroth was safer than letting her be on Earth. Unfortunately, Raven's birth had disastrous effects on the interdimensional plane, and with her very presence endangering the people there. Thus, she was raised without emotions, hoping this would stave off the danger. Trigon's power was later made plain to his daughter, however, and the pacifist Temple of Azeroth group refused to fight his evil. Without her family fighting with her, Raven fled to Earth to seek aid in fighting her father. We also see in this episode that Mother Mayhem uh, seems to suck up Raven's powers and turn her hair white, which a lot of people are guessing this is where we're going to see the beginning of White Raven. White Raven, as another quote from an article, because it was a really great rundown. White Raven is frequently considered to be the most powerful version of Raven. She has appeared in the Teen Titans cartoon on multiple occasions. When Raven dons white, it represents when she is free from her father's influence and taint over her powers. She's able to become the best version of herself, typically spelling trouble for those that oppose her. She is immensely powerful in this form, with even her changing the entire Earth back to normal after her father destroyed it in the animated show. In this form, she may be able to do more damage to the Church of Blood than she could ever previously have done. Titans may be drawing, drawing from the comic arc where Brother Blood captures and removes the gem from Raven's head. He removes Trigon's influence and she is able to be reborn. 
Now, um, we don't know based on just white hair if this is quite what's going to happen. Uh, the episode, the new episode is up on HBO Max as of today, though, if you would like to go check that out and see what happens next for white-haired Raven and if she's going to be the classic comic white Raven. As for Beast Boy, he historically has been highly criticized by the Teen Titans comic fans for being a bit bum in the show, not utilizing him properly, and it seems that they are going to fix that. They started hinting at better things in the season three kind of ending with the bats and stuff. Uh, he was he was doing all that. It was pretty cool. Uh, in this season, he is already gaining the ability to change into many more animals. He got a new suit that he doesn't have to change in and out of, thanks Star Labs. And uh, when he uses it for the first time, he accidentally gets transported to the realm of the Red while destroying Star Labs in real life as a gorilla, among other things, apparently. Now, the realm of the Red... Um, the red connects all living organisms within the universe, and certain characters are allowed to embrace its power. Beast Boy is one of the current avatars of the red, similar to the green and swamp thing, sometimes poison ivy, depending on the story and canonity, the reality you're in. On that note, the red, the green, and the rot, it's, it's kind of like the, the, the trifecta that is very well known by comic readers for DC. They are the most prominent trio of elemental forces in DC comics. The green being well known because of Swamp Thing, who is, of course, the avatar of the green. This is the force that connects all plant life, giving Swamp Thing these incredible powers, and this is duty to guard the Earth's ecological areas. Conversely, the rot is connected to death and decay, allowing people to harness the disturbing powers of sickness and death. Now, the red connects all living things, humans, animals, organisms, anything with blood and tissue. Beast Boy seems to have been transported to the red when he first puts on that Star Labs costume and activates his powers, likely it is where his powers come from. He has been, or appears to have been, completely oblivious about all of this until now, but with the rise of the Blood Cult, the Red may be ready to create its avatar and show him the way. Now, how is the Red connected to the Cult of Blood and all of that? I have another little quote here. It says, The cult of blood worship blood and the power they believe it has. The return of Brother Blood and Mother Mayhem could have awoken the Parliament of Limbs. In return, or in turn, the Parliament may sense the danger of the blood cult and need Beast Boy to be their avatar in the battle against him. Brother Blood may even seek the Red's power and knowledge. If the blood cult took over the Red, they would be able to dominate the planet. So basically, what that means is that the Red is going to need Gar to defend it from being bastardized by the blood cult. That leaves us with Starfire, Tim Drake, and Nightwing. Uh, Starfire, she has had a lot of wishy-washiness on the show about her destinies. Uh, they do make a joke about that, have her having multiple destinies throughout the series. Uh, apparently her sister Blackfire returned to rule Tamaran. Boo, I wanted more Blackfire. Um, and then when it comes to the battle with Mother Mayhem, she is the only one who can hold out against her at all. However, she can hold out against her really, really well, and she ends up fleeing, I think. Um, Star Labs actually told her that she's, like, a billion times more powerful than ever before. It's pretty crazy. Also, Lex was looking into her powers or something like that. Um, so there's still some kind of mystery there. I don't know how tied into this other stuff it is, if at all. Meanwhile, Tim Drake, uh, all I wrote here was his stick, his bisexuality. 
Um, because yes, he is given his stick by Bernard, who works for Star Labs. Uh, he's an adaption of Bernard Dowd, who is a friend of Tim's and a huge fan of Robin and eventually becomes his boyfriend. Um, I think first boyfriend, if I'm not mistaken. Um, but yeah, so Bernard gives him the stick. It's the stick he has in the comics. Fun stuff. Um, and somebody made the joke online that we went from seeing the worst Robin, which was obviously Jason Todd, to arguably the best Robin, um, with Tim Drake. I, I would say Damien is probably the most worthy Robin, closely followed by Tim Drake. And then that leaves Nightwing. Uh, I guess he's kind of just backup. He's he's kind of doing his own thing. I don't know. They're doing their own thing and he's just following them around. And then he has this really awkward thing where he gives his jacket to a little girl in a hospital. <laughs> but it wasn't like he was talking about Bruce giving him this jacket when his parents died or whatever. And so he puts it on her shoulders and tells her that. And he could have just left it at that. But then he goes... And you can keep the jacket. Like, who do you think you are? You think you're the you, you think you're Jesus? This little girl's gonna be like, oh my god, he gave me his jacket. Like, what? It was just a really funny thing. Um, and like I said, the third episode is up on HBO Max as of today, or as of when this is gonna be posted. So go ahead and check that out to see if I was right with any of the speculation. <laughs> But that does leave us to the end of the episode. This is probably one of the shorter ones, even though I feel like it had a ton of information on it. I don't know. Um, we will be talking on the next episode, 85, about, um, assuming I see Wakanda Forever this weekend, we'll be talking Wakanda Forever. Um, we'll also be talking possibly Zootopia Plus if I get around to watching that. Uh, the new episode of Titans on HBO Max, episode three, as well as whatever comics news and things happen. And, you know, we'll have a new spotlight manga. We'll have new comic book picks to talk about that are being released this week. Um, it's going to be a great episode. Also, the Satan episode is it's it's going to be out um, soon. <laughs> it is coming, though, I promise. Uh, it's just life is kind of a lot right now. So um, check out the website. I'm going to be doing some updates and things, hopefully the YouTube channel as well. Um, and have a great week. If you are a Disney Dreamlight Valley player, there is going to be an update at the end of the month. How exciting! Because I've been super bored with just collecting stuff and selling it to Goofy. So uh, have a great week. <laughs> Stay warm drink water even though you're cold you need your water <laughs>